Hello to you. Would you like to turn to uh, Luke chapter 2? If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 2. And verse 25. Did you have a good Christmas? We're not quite over yet, are we? More to come in the Christmas story. You don't usually have this story told, do you? We don't hear too much about Simeon and Anna, do we, in the story of the Christmas story. But here we are, six weeks after the birth of Jesus. um, And they've gone to the temple to do for Jesus as the law requires. So I'll pick up the story from Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise that is. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause a falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Luke is keen and he tells us the story of Jesus to include as many ordinary people as possible. He starts his story off with Zechariah and Elizabeth, two old people, and the Christmas story, as it were, finishes with two more old people, Simeon and Anna. Anna is at least 84 years old, maybe even older. Simeon is knocking on the door of heaven, but God says, not yet, not until you see the Lord's Christ. So, two older people at the right at the end of the story here. But I wonder what we're missing. Familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? And uh, we don't see what's familiar. So it was lovely for John, looking out the window, to say, have a look out of the window, because there's two deer. I mean, I could have been looking out the window, looking at them, thinking they're odd-looking cows or something otherwise in my mind. It takes someone who knows what he's looking for. I could easily have missed them. So advertisers are constantly looking for new ways to break through our jaded uh, consciences and reach for our wallets. Simeon says here, my eyes have seen your salvation. He says, it's okay Lord, you can, you can take me now because I've seen what you promised me. I've seen it. But he holds in his hands a baby who can't walk. His eyes have seen your salvation in a baby that can't talk. My eyes have seen your salvation in a baby who is utterly dependent upon his mother for every single thing. Seen your salvation in a baby that can't even make sense of the world around him. Simeon, like the prophets before him, had been waiting for God, his saviour. All he saw was a child, a six-week-old baby. But what he said he saw was God's salvation. He's surrounded by crowds of people who are just milling about to and fro. They see a couple with a child. But Simeon sees God's salvation. 
The naming ceremony is over and Jesus has his name. You are to give him the name Jesus. Both his mother and his adoptive father have been told that is what to be the case. And that means, of course, God is salvation. His name, every time someone mentions his name, it declares his mission in the world. Joseph has been told he must name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Leah Morris, a commentator on the Bible, more than 50 years ago wrote this. There's something our generation still needs to hear. We're not very interested in saving men from their sins. With our welfare states, we're very interested in saving them from want and insecurity. With our international conferences and the like, we hope to save them from war. We give all support to our medical personnel in their efforts to save people from sickness, but our generation does not bother about sin. What does it matter? And 50 years on, the question is still the same. He continued, It matters so greatly that when the Son of God came, his mission was simply to save people from their sins. His very name indicates the central purpose that was before him. So the greatest need of mankind is to be saved from their sins. And Jesus comes in. And most of the crowd just see a little baby in its parents' arms. But Simeon, with the eyes of faith, sees God's salvation. God said this through Paul to Timothy. God our Saviour wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We know what God wants. He wants all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. This is because, John tells us, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Men, women, young, old, of every generation, every place, need salvation. We need saving from our sins. Whether we think of sin, as Paul does in Romans, as falling short of the glory of God, whether we think of it, as John does, as the breaking of the law, whether we think of it, as Isaiah does, as going astray like sheep, all humanity is under the wrath of God because all have sinned. And the wages of that sin is death. We live in God's world. We enjoy God's benefits. But we mostly ignore him completely. Left to ourselves, we will reap the whirlwind he has sown. And so as Simon is in the temple, as people are going about their business, doing their normal things, all they see is another child being brought by another set of parents to do another set of legal obligations. But Simeon sees something different. He sees the salvation of God. The wrath of God, says Paul to the Romans, is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We are, he says, without excuse. Yet the gift of Christmas is that God comes to deal with this precise issue. But most people don't know. I wonder how many people over Christmas, as they celebrated Christmas in all the different creative ways they did, and gave cards to one another, many of them would have seen a baby. Yeah. If you go to Dallington School, Nativity, which we used to do from time to time, you find they have a real live baby in their nativity. They always have a real live baby. The production line is going, 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 and the newest child gets to play that role, which I think is rather creative. Many of those people would just have seen a baby in a manger. But we, of course, see God's salvation. Zechariah has already prophesied that his son would give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
on the day of Pentecost, after hearing his challenging sermon, when his hearers cry out, what shall we do? Peter tells them that salvation brings two things. Forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need to be saved from our past. The past needs to be dealt with. You can't just forget about the past. You just can't leave it alone. You just can't hope it will one day be put to rights. If you just leave it alone, it just gets covered in dust, but it's still there. So Jesus, when presented by a paralysed man coming down through the roof of his house, and it may well have been his house, or his home anyway, because he's back in Capernaum. You ever thought of that? I didn't realise that. I read a commentator recently, and he said, it could well have been the house Jesus lived in. He didn't own it. But in the case when he says, your sins are forgiven, he may well be saying, you're forgiven for breaking into my house. And breaking the world apart. But anyway, the first thing he gives is not healing, which is what he needs apparently most of all, but it's forgiveness. He offers him forgiveness of sin. Because one day that man will die, like all of us. But the forgiveness will last forever. Jesus promised forgiveness to a sinful woman who washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Jesus said that the message that his disciples were to take to the world was one of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And it's doubtful at Christmas whether that was the central worry, concern of most people. People would have been concerned about their jobs. Many of them risk losing jobs, which is a tragedy. Many folk will be worrying about making ends meet, really struggling to find the wherewithal to pay the bills or even to put food on the table. Some will be worrying about their health. But I wonder how many were worrying about their eternal destiny. It's sin that cuts us off from God. It's sin that needs dealing with. Simeon saw that help as he held a baby in his arms. What he saw was a baby, but what he said he saw was God's saviour. But even if we have our past wiped clean, washed away, forgiven, put aside, remembered no more, whatever biblical picture you want to choose there, what will prevent us having been given a new start, from making a mess of it again, like we always have done. Well, says Peter on Pentecost Day, the Holy Spirit will make the difference. Give us not only a new start, but the wherewithal to live this new start. Each evangelist, each gospel writer, distinguishes between Jesus' ministry and John the Baptist's ministry in exactly the same way. They say this, John says, I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. My baptism is water for repentance, but his baptism is with the Holy Spirit. This new beginning that we are given in Christ, we are given the ability to live it in the power of the Spirit. So it's the Spirit who gives us a new birth, and it's with that Spirit that Jesus baptises us. We become new creations, new beginnings, a fresh start, and filled with the Spirit, as Paul tells the Ephesians, we can now live a life worthy of the calling we've received. That's good news, isn't it? For someone who gets so much wrong so much of the time, I thank God, not only for new beginnings, but for the possibility of living a new life. If you are a member of the Alcoholics Anonymous, or whatever the alternative is for drugs and things, people like that recognise that without external help, They'll never change. They need that help and they call on it. And we as Christians do the same thing day by day. 
so we don't have to repeat the mistakes and sins of the past. We can truly embrace life in all its fullness. So Simeon saw salvation, God's salvation. He saw God's answer to our sin. He saw God's answer to our weakness. When the baby was born, that crowd of angels told the shepherds that today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. What Simeon saw was just a little baby. But what he said he saw was God's salvation. Easy to miss, isn't it? When Jesus told Zacchaeus he wanted to come to have some meal with him, he said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus prayed for those who were even at that moment nailing him to a cross in torture and crucifixion. He said this, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He assured the penitent thief one of two men crucified with him, that he would today be with me in paradise. And he sends his spirit on his church so that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you and I sit here today, this morning, with the same testimony that Jesus is still saving people from their sins. Simeon saw a child, for what he said he saw was God's salvation. But the crowds who were around saw nothing at all. They just saw what was normal. They had been blinded by familiarity. Who can be saved? Well, Jesus' disciples once asked him, who then can be saved? They had just witnessed Jesus having a conversation with a rich young ruler which had ended with him walking away, sad, because his riches had gripped his heart. And they asked him this question, who then can be saved? Had Jesus come for everyone or just for a few people? Could all men be saved then? Can all men be saved now? Well, Simeon prophesies here that God's salvation was prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. So the whole world can be saved. If you want a strap line for Luke's gospel, it's this. The gospel according to Luke, Jesus, saviour of the world. So Jesus declared that he was anointed to bring good news to the poor, the imprisoned, the blind, the oppressed. Jesus went to the demon-possessed, the sick, the women, the outcasts, lepers, tax collectors, sinners, children, Samaritans, Gentiles, just about everybody you could possibly imagine. He didn't spend too much time with the wealthy and the powerful because, frankly, they didn't want to spend time with him. It wasn't because the message wasn't for them. It's because they didn't want it. And Jesus sends his disciples in Acts chapter 1 to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In our terminology, he sends us to Hurstmanzoo and East Sussex and England and the European Union and the ends of the earth. What other ways you describe the country, starting from where you are? And Acts traces the journey of the disciples as they start from Jerusalem, the capital of Jewry, to end up in Rome, the capital of the world at that time. Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, saved, churches planted, scattered across the known world. 
and his followers constantly drew attention to the centrality of Jesus being the hope for the world and the focus of his mission to be saving men and women from their sins. Of course we have to be concerned with all the other matters that concern people. Praise the Lord for food banks and everyone who works to alleviate poverty, hunger or deprivation or to work for justice in every regard. But the central message is always this, to save people from their sins. John says this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Peter says it this way, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Paul tells Timothy, Titus, sorry, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour and says we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Not, as we will know, a little baby held in arms, but as a conquering king to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. When Pilate and Jesus met on those crucial final hours, Jesus said, For this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. The truth that men and women are in sin and under the wrath of God. The truth that without God there is no hope. The truth that God has loved people since before the foundation of the world. The truth that Jesus has come to reveal the heart of God to needy people. The reason the Son of God appeared, says John, was to destroy the devil's work. That work was to kill, steal and destroy. To alienate mankind from their creator. So when Simeon sees Mary and Joseph walking through the temple precincts, his heart leaps as he sees not just a baby, but the answer to mankind's needs. No wonder he says, fine Lord, I've seen it now. I'm not going to live long enough to see this young baby grow up, but I've seen your promise fulfilled. Jesus shared our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Christ died, says Peter, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. What Simeon saw was a babe in arms, but what he said he saw was God's salvation. A salvation that would embrace Jew and Gentile. He saw the saviour of the world. Humanity is separated from God, but God in his grace and love came searching. For the Son of Man, says Jesus, came to seek and to save that, was, that which was lost. Paul says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. They look but they don't see. They listen but they don't hear. Yet they long. They long for meaning. They long for satisfaction. They long for security. They long and they thirst if they did but know it for God. Bill Moyer's documentary film on the hymn Amazing Grace includes a scene filmed in Wembley Stadium in London. 
Various musical groups, mostly rock bands, had gathered together in celebration of the changes in South Africa. This is 1990. And for some reason, the promoters scheduled an opera singer, Jesse Norman, as a closing act. The film cuts back and forth between scenes of the unruly crowd in the stadium and Jesse Norman being interviewed. For 12 hours, groups like Guns N' Roses have blasted the crowd through banks of speakers, riling up fans already high on booze and dope. The crowd yells for more curtain calls, and the rock groups oblige. Meanwhile, Jessie Norman sits in her dressing room discussing Amazing Grace with Moyers. The hymn was written, of course, by John Newton, a coarse, cruel <coughs> slave trader. He first called out to God in the midst of a storm that nearly threw him overboard. Newton came to see the light only gradually, continuing to ply his trade even after his conversion. He wrote the song, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, while waiting in an African harbour for a shipment of slaves. Later, though, he renounced his profession, became a minister, and joined William Wilberforce in the fight against slavery. John Newton never lost sight of the depths from which he had been lifted. He never lost sight of grace. When he wrote that saved a wretch like me, he meant those words with all his heart. In the film, Jesse Norman tells Bill Moyers that Newton may have borrowed an old tune sung by the slaves themselves, redeeming the song just as he had himself been redeemed. Finally, the time comes for her to sing. And a single circle of light follows Norman, a majestic African-American woman wearing a flowing African dashiki as she strolls on stage. No backup band, no musical instruments, just Jessie. The crowd stirs, restless. Few recognise the opera diva. A voice yells for more guns and roses. Others take up the cry. The scene is getting ugly. But alone, a cappella, Jesse Norman begins to sing very slowly, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. A remarkable thing happens in Wembley Stadium that night. 70,000 raucous fans fall silent before her aria of grace. By the time Norman reaches the second verse, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. The soprano has the crowd in her hands. By the time she reaches the third verse, "'Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Several thousand fans are singing along, digging far back in nearly lost memories for words they heard long ago. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise." than when we first begun. Jessie Norman later confessed she had no idea what power descended on Wembley Stadium that night. This writer says, I think I know. The world thirsts for grace. When grace descends, the world falls silent before it. The world thirsts for grace. The world thirsts for a saviour. Jesus the saviour of the world, has come. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Among the last words John Newton ever spoke as he was dying in December 1807 at the age of 82 were these, I am a great sinner, 
but Christ is a great saviour. What Simeon saw was a child, but what he said he saw was God's salvation. What he saw was Jesus, the saviour of the world. Let's pray. Father, as those whose eyes have been opened to recognise in the child Jesus in a manger the gift of a saviour to the world, as those whose eyes have been opened to the man Jesus walking the dusty roads of Galilee, living out as the king, the kingdom of God, as those whose eyes have been opened to see the one crucified on the cross, giving his life as a ransom for many, as those whose eyes have been opened to see our need for saving and our great Saviour. Father, we embrace this child, Jesus, and we embrace this man, Jesus, and we embrace the resurrected Lord. And say, Father, fill us with your Spirit that this year we may have the joy, the unutterable joy, of letting others see, not just a baby, but the saviour of the world. We know around us are people who are longing and thirsting for grace. They are longing for you, Lord. We long for them too, that this year might be the year of salvation for them. Let it be so, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.